So as we continue our sermon series this morning, Not by Bread Alone, where we're looking at the biblical understanding of fasting, we're going to take, we're going to talk about fasting a little bit, but we're going to take a little bit of a pause. We're going to enter something else. Uh, that, that is vital to fasting. And uh, for a cup of, for lunch and a conversation with Pastor Jim, once I get past my cold, what is the one thing from week one that I said is needed in order to really grow in the spiritual discipline of fasting? In the back. Prayer, absolutely, right? Sorry, Mike, Noah rose his hand. So thank you. Uh, no, we got it. Prayer. You cannot fast if you're not going to pray. Right? Because that's like uh, any child wanting something from their parents and never asking them. Or if you're in your marriage, right, or in your dating relationship, you know, I always talk to premarital couples and marriage counseling couples and all those things that are you living on assumed or... Um, Assumed expectations, or you're just going to hope and pray that your spouse can read your mind. How many of you here have been married over 30 years? Do you have the ability after, th- keep your hands up, keep your hands up. Do you ha- who has the ability after 30 years to read your spouse's mind? Let's pray for Larry. Um, out of a whole congregation, right, and maybe online, right, we may have one. That reading our minds as people, we can't do it, right? We can't. The same relationship goes with God. That if we want something from God, right, if we, want, if we desire to be in relationship with him, we have to communicate. That communicating, spending that time is huge. When you're in a dating relationship, you spend time together. If you have a relationship and you're excited about it and you come up and tell me and say, Pastor Jim, I'm so excited, I'm in this relationship, I'm dating this person, and I say, hey, have you talked to them lately? And you say, no. What kind of relationship is that? Especially now in 2023 when you can communicate in so many different ways without even talking, text, all of these things. That communication is huge. Connecting with God is huge. That if you believe that you're going to grow in the spiritual gift of fasting to see God at work in your life, yet you're not going to communicate with God, you're playing a fool's game. You're fasting in vain. Because Jesus makes it very clear in the scriptures that if you want something from God, you ask You seek that in prayer, in communicating, right? It doesn't need to be, you know, uh, though we teach it to our kids to show reverence, fold your hand, close your eyes, bow your head, but it could be while you're walking. It could be while you're mowing the lawn. It could be so many different ways that you can connect with God. How many of you connect with God because you have a commute to work and you use that time as really a time to connect with the Lord? Absolutely. My wife does. She says, Jim, it takes 25 minutes for me to pray for patience and grace for my house. I said, that's fair, right? I have a seven-minute commute, if that, right? And so I, I try to use that at times. And guess what? When I choose to do that, my road rage goes way down. 
right? When I'm, when I'm focusing on God and trying to have that communication with them, it's really hard for me to think ungodly thoughts about the person that cuts me off. And so I tend to try to do that more because one way to get under my skin is to drive like a fool, right? And so that's one way that I can kind of keep that connection. Fasting goes right there. It's hand in hand. Now the scripture we're going to look at has to do with Jesus himself. That Jesus goes through a season. He goes through 40 days in the wilderness. And fasting, prayer, connection with the Father, and scripture all come into play. So I think it's safe to say if Jesus is going to model it, then we should too. That if we're going to remove Jesus or the, the, the example of Jesus from our road to fasting, then I love you, we're doing it wrong. But before we get to that, because we've done this now every sermon series, I thought about prayer in this idea of connection, right? That praying is holding a connection to God. And there is a great restaurant in our area that they built their business model around the idea of connecting. In 1984, Craig and Leah Culver, along with Craig's parents, George and Ruth, opened the first Culver's, a family beloved in their family beloved hometown of Sauk City, Wisconsin. They began serving their butter burgers and their frozen custard. How many of you's mouth just filled with saliva? Mine did. Yeah. Craveable was something that they wanted. Their signature combination was their craveable burger and their custard. And they built their restaurants to mimic that of a country home. Where everybody, if you ever lived on a farm, you ever lived out in the country, having meals was a big deal. Everybody came to have a connection over eating, breaking bread together. I also want to shout out our local Culver's. The one in Crown Point, Maryville, Highland, that they do a great job of connecting with non-for-profits, with churches, helping with fundraisers, all of those things. How do I know? Because I will endure a 45-minute wait for my spicy chicken sandwich with mayo and ketchup for the Highland Christian fundraiser. Normally, that would make me really angry. But they support, they give, up, they give money back to youth groups and schools and not-for-profits to help connect with them. So this idea of connecting, we're going to talk about that over this idea of Culver's, but it's a great model that they built this model around good food, quality food, connection, right? How many people know what they say when you say thank you to someone that works at Culver's? My pleasure. They want it to mimic that of the family, because there's a family connection. I look out, I see so many family units, right? Let's take the Scott house, right? Because you sit always here, it's low-hanging fruit. Randy, you, your kids are now grown, right? You and your wife been married how many years? I, oh, I should have put lunch on that. Yeah, that's about 53, okay? 53 years connecting, family dinners, prayer, devotions. You guys did all of that. Yes. Connection. I, I can call out all of our families and say, do we connect with our families? Do we take time and talk and communicate and listen? I, I've gotten to know Randy over five years. I know when he asks, how am I doing? It's not a passive question. He really wants to know. That we know people in our life that when they ask, how are you doing? 
They really want to know. They want to connect. So we go to Scripture. This idea of connection, this idea of being in connection with the Father, we see in, uh, in Exodus 17. Okay, we see this in this understanding. First, we're going to go to Moses and Aaron and kind of this understanding of Jesus, how Jesus connects, okay? So Exodus 17, starting with verse 8, says when uh, Amalek came and fought with Israel at, at Rediphium, so Moses said to Joshua, choose for us men and go out and fight with Amalek. Tomorrow I will stand at the top of the hill with the staff of God in my hand. So Joshua did as Moses told him and fought with Amalek. While, Aaron, while Moses, Aaron and Hur went up to the uh, top of the mountain. Whenever Moses held his hands, held up his hands, Israel prevailed. And whenever he lowered his hand, Amalek prevailed. But Moses' hands grew weary. So they took a stone and put it under him, and he sat on it. While Aaron and Ur held up his hands, one on each side and one on the other side, so his hands were steady until the going down of the sun, Joshua overwhelmed Amalek and his people with the sword. So this is a word that we get from, uh, from Exodus 17. But then we also see this idea of connection with Jesus, excuse me, in the wilderness. So much like Moses, right, on the hill, we can see that in the description of Jesus at Calvary, this understanding of connecting with God, that Moses was connecting, doing what the Lord asked of him, and he prevailed. We see the same thing with the temptation of Jesus. We see Jesus being tempted by the devil after 40 days, fasting, where he's hungry. We get the title of the sermon series out of here, that the first thing that Satan says is, right, eat these stones, right? Make these stones become bread, consume them. He goes after Jesus' physical nature. We talked about this last week. And this understanding of connecting with the Father, we see the picture of Jesus knowing the Father's word. So what we have to understand here is this idea of connection is knowing God's word. Why is knowing God's word important when it comes to fasting? Why is praying important when it comes to fasting? Because this is where we get our direction. This is going to be a kind of a crazy question. Let me see if we can engage it. What would our world be like without God's word? Chaos? Depressing? Lawless? Destruction? Dreadful? Hopeless? Why? Why so negative? Why wouldn't it be awesome, right? Why wouldn't it be like, this is great. I don't have this guilt. I don't have this, this big brother when it comes to telling me what to do. Obviously, I'm being facetious. But that, in essence, is the tension between our free will and God's grace. Because God knows, given of ourselves, we will try to dominate everybody else. That if it's only our word that we know, if life is lived according to Jim, it would be an absolute mess. No, I love it when my boys follow my word, right? I love it when, when I give people advice and they take it. That feels good. That's great. But the world should never be crafted by my voice. And I love all of you. It should not be crafted by your voice. God crafts us by his voice. And in that, he invites us. 
He invites us to connect with him. He invites us. He tells us, talk to me. Connect with me and you will prevail in life. He instructed Moses to keep his hands praising God, recognizing his power. And Israel prevailed. The minute they slip, the minute our connection with God gets distracted, it seems like the world tends to prevail. And we see this time and time again, not only in the scriptures, but we see it in life. We go to the Gospels and we see, right, uh, Peter asked, or Jesus asked Peter to come onto the water. And Peter focuses on Christ and he can do the impossible. He takes his eyes off Christ and he sinks. When he looks at the chaos of his life, he sinks. So this understanding of connection, this understanding of the power that we have in God only kind of complements our fasting. As we talked about in the very beginning of this sermon series, that fasting, right, is a voluntary denial of something. And I want to go just for a minute. It's not really a rabbit trail because it makes sense to the, the thought. I'm going to, let's talk about fasting from other than food. Week, two, week one and week two, we talked about different kind of fasts. Fast from social media. Uh, fast from, uh, you know, uh, like communicating. The fa fasting from talking. Something I probably should do this week to get my voice back. But this idea of, of voluntarily denying myself of something. For a lot of people, they did, you know, maybe a fast from, from fast food or fast from answer whatever you want here. This idea of fasting from food and this idea of fasting from other things tend to play themselves out very differently. Because when you break down fasting from food and you talk to the theologians and, you know, uh, that, that, that really write about this idea of fasting, that when you get those hunger pains, that's this opportunity to pray. Uh, growing up in the youth group in Palis Heights, Illinois, we always did a 30-hour fast, and it was a youth group fundraiser. We would do this fast. We'd go out. We'd play games, you know, all of this. We'd play games, and the winner would get, like, a bottle of water or a smoothie. I say this now, and it sounds illegal uh, it, in my head. Probably should not have been doing it, but the thing that we did is every time we would get these hunger pains, the youth pastor would say, spend time in prayer. Ask God to be your sustenance in the moment. And then I remember we broke the fast after 30 hours with this giant spaghetti dinner. And sure as shooting, 30 minutes later, we're all throwing up. Because after this fast, we just start to mog on all of, these, all of this food. Garlic bread and butter and salad maybe and meatballs and noodles and all these things. And we are miserable 30 minutes later. And this week as I was thinking about fasting, that's really the only, one of the only times I ever did like a structure fast. And I thought about it. I'm like, man, that was a terrible idea. Because in essence, the fast, we were missing the goal of the fast. The goal of the fast was not to make it to 30 hours and to just, just consume our body weight in noodles. The goal of the fast was to connect with God. It's also not a healthy thing to fast 30 hours and then just eat a bunch of carbs, okay? I'm not a health expert, but that was my experience. 
that when we fast without prayer, we fast in vain. And prayer is such an important aspect of the life of a Christian. How many of you, you don't have to raise your hands, have non-believers in your life? And maybe you're here this morning, and you're, I asked you not to raise your hand, Mark. Uh, and maybe you have non-believers in your life. You know, maybe you're picturing one right now. Or maybe you're here this morning, and you're a non-believer. Maybe you don't recognize Jesus as Lord and Savior like we've talked about. That's okay. I'm so glad you're here. But to a non-believer, this is, I would love answers or responses. What is prayer to a non-believer? What? A last-ditch effort. I heard uh, something, Jeffers. That's last-ditch effort. Maybe my ears are clocked, too. Wasted time. Interesting. Foolishness, okay. Talking to yourself. You would say that, wouldn't you? That, that, that one, oh, man, I got to think about that. Talking to yourself. Yeah, because if you're a non-believer, I'm just going to work this. You guys hold tight. I'm going to work this out with Mike. If you're a non-believer, you're not doing it to another world religion. You're not meditating on anything else. If you're, you know, a non-believer in anything, it's to yourself. Man, that's a good answer. All right, someone try to beat it. Uh, prayer to a non-believer. Huh? Opening up to God. Interesting. So it's being potentially an opportunity to be uh, engaged. Because if you're a non-believer and you are practicing the art of praying, there, there's a conversation there. That's interesting. Those both answers take this sermon in wildly different places. So I'm going to try to go right in the middle. But understanding that it, though it may make sense in introducing yourself to Christianity or to God or to this idea of God, if you're an agnostic or an atheist, other world religions have prayer. But the prayers of other world religions differ in what we learn in God's word. That if we are going to connect with the triune God, Father, Son, and Spirit, then we need to do it in a posture worthy of God. That's where we're not praying to ourselves, right? We're, we're recognizing God's not some spiritual ATM. Lord, I really need 100 bucks today. That's a different prayer than, Lord, be with me this month as I struggle to make rent. See, those are two different prayers. This understanding of prayer, uh, this understanding of, of recognizing who God is, your fast is going to be incredible. The spiritual gifts that you are trying to dive into with prayer become the conduit of the spiritual activity that you can experience in life. When Moses' hands were up, Israel prevailed. When his arms started to slip, they started to falter. Israel started to get defeated. So the Lord brought people to hold Moses' hands up. The last thing I want to talk about is this idea of prayer being a communal thing. I'd love to ask each and every one of you, how's your prayer life? And I know I'd get a variety of answers. From every day, all day, fantastic, to what is a prayer life? And everywhere in between. I just want you to know, you're welcome here. The fact that you're here tells me that you want to work on it. Whether you know it or not, 
you want to work on your prayer life. That prayer becomes, like I said, a conduit of God at work in your life. Just like you have relationships, the most important relationship you are now connecting with. One of the things about prayer that always fascinates me as a pastor is people's prayers after bad things happen. Someone will say some, some type of line that says, this happened and it brought me to my knees. Rarely do I hear that in, a good, in the positive. Got this major promotion and it brought me to my knees. That's not to say that every promotion is, is in vain or that we're prideful about it. But it's usually in the bad things of life. It brought me to my knees. Let me challenge us tonight. Sorry, this morning. You can think about it tonight if you want. Why should we ever get off of our knees when it comes to our relationship with God? Now, obviously, I'm not talking literally, right? Because we have jobs to do, people to care for, meals to make. But shouldn't our posture of prayer, our posture of relationship with God, be reverent always? That as we make our request to God, it's done in a way that recognizes who God is and who we are. And the reason why I ask that, the reason why I, I, I speak about that today is because when we're in glory, guess what? That's what we're going to do. We're going to be praising God all day long. We're going to be singing, holy, holy, holy is the Lord God Almighty, who was and is and is to come. Worthy is him who deserves our worship and all the glory in the world. So where in your life, or I should say, what in your life is keeping you from being that reverent to God in prayer? What is keeping you from putting yourself in the posture of complete and total submission to God? Because in the biblical context, this was it. We see it throughout the scriptures that when people, when people fell prostrate on the ground, that, that was in the presence of the holy. Whether angels or the Shekinah or glory, whatever, Jesus. So we're going to practice that today. Now, some of you are looking at me like, if I go down on my knees, I'm not going to be able to get up. That's not what I'm talking about, and it's okay. We're going to spend some time as a church in prayer. We're going to spend some time in church praying for ourselves, praying for our church, praying for the world. Because if we believe in a God that does spiritual activity and spiritual growth during a fast, then we better be a church that prays. Lord, listen to your children praying. Lord, grant us this time as we go through prayer. And maybe you're here this morning and prayer doesn't make sense to you. Totally fine. Maybe you're here this morning and you go, I don't know how to pray. Totally fine. Jesus helps us with that. Jesus teaches us to pray. And this morning we're going to follow a model of prayer. I didn't create it. I couldn't even find who did because so many pastors, theologians, missionaries use it. It's called the Acts Prayer Model. And it's a model of prayer that really breaks down how we are 
to pray following the model of the Lord's Prayer. And the first of that is adoration. The idea of adoration, this idea of recognizing who God is and praising God for who he is. Band, you can come up, or whoever's coming up for this time. That we read from the Psalms, not to us, Lord, not to us, but to your name be the glory. Why? Because of your love and your faithfulness. That as we go to the Lord in prayer, let us start by praying how great God is. Our Father who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Hallowed meaning holy. Holy be thy name. That we're recognizing that God is God. We are not. We are not to pray to anybody else but a holy, loving, and perfect God. Now, how we're going to do this, we're going to worship, and then we're going to pray. We're going to worship, and then we're going to pray. So if there are distractions right now, for the next couple of minutes, I'm going to ask that you to try to drop those. Distractions of what you're going to do later today, distractions of whatever it may be, that we open ourselves up to what God has for us. Because it's important that we do. Friends, we have a lot on the horizon as a church. We have a lot of exciting things in the future and vision of our church. I'm excited, the staff's excited, the council's excited, but if we're not connecting, I guarantee you we're gonna miss it. Let us pray. Father, in this moment, in this hour, give us your peace. Grant us this understanding of adoration, of recognizing who you are, what you've done, to the glory of one name, yours, Jesus Christ. Amen.
Father, you are holy. You are holy. Father, you are the creator of all things. Father, where can we flee your presence? If we try to hide up in the heavens, you are there. Father, we try to make our bed in the depths, you are there. If we try to sneak off into the darkness of night, you are there, for darkness is as light to you. Father, you are big, and we are small. Father, you are the creator, and we are the creation. Father, you can do all things. So, Father, as, a, as individuals and as a church, we recognize your glory this morning. We recognize your power, your might. Father, we recognize that you are in control, though we look out in a world and we don't maybe see that with our own temporal vision, the visions of our flesh. We know that you are sovereign. Father, thank you for being the sovereign God that we all need, the heavenly Father that draws us into community with you. Father, you, in you, is salvation. Father, we thank you, and we come to you now as your children reveal to us what you have for us this morning. Amen. Confession. Confession is the next step of this prayer. That after we recognize who God is, this is why we don't pray to anybody else but God, because if we pray to anything or anybody else, that doesn't fit the bill because confession is next. Confession is coming, and here's the thing, not praying for other people's sins, that right off the bat we come and we confess our sins. We come and confess the ugliness that we are. Asking forgiveness from sins comes with the recognition that we're sinners. Because friends, if you're here this morning, you're perfect, you're sinless, you don't need to pray. And I love you, you don't need to be here. And I hate to tell you, you don't need God. But I know that that's not the case for any of us. That we come as sinners. We come confessing those sins. Psalm 32. And I acknowledge my sin to you and did not cover up my iniquity. I said I will confess my transgressions to the Lord. And you forgave the guilt of my sin. So when we confess, he is faithful and just and will forgive us our sins and cleanse us from all unrighteousness. The psalmist writes, as far as the east is from the west, I remember your sin no more when you confess them to me. And here's a thing we don't like. Confession is not passive. Confession is active that we are active in confessing our sins to God. And here's the kicker. You're not gonna surprise God. God's not gonna be like, oh yeah, that's right, you did do that. Or oh, I forgot to, I forgot to punish you for that. 
because God always is connecting with us. The light always is connecting and pushing out the darkness. But this morning, the thing we have to understand is before we want to get up and look and go, oh yeah, there's darkness over here, and oh yeah, there's kind of darkness over here, and oh yeah, that's, they're a sinner, I see their Facebook, and all of these things, we have to look inward first. Because if there's confession, right, there is forgiveness. But here's the last thing about confession. It's not a confession so then I can do it again. Because with forgiveness, there's a turn. With forgiveness, we're saying, God, you have forgiven me. And as we hear the words of Jesus, go and sin no more. There's a recognition that when we mess up, when we seek forgiveness, we're going to do our best to not do it again. Take your relationships, your marriages, your relationship with your kids, your friendships, your neighbor. You do something and you wrong them and you ask for forgiveness. And then next day you do the same thing. Same exact thing. You hurt him in the same exact way. He's like, oh, I'm so sorry, forgive me. And the next day, you do the same exact thing. It's like, oh, forgive me. Then your sincerity means nothing. Your confession is cheap. Because you're looking for that cheap grace. Paul talks about that. Should we continue to sin that grace may abound? Surely not. Let's pray. Fathers, we come and confess to you. Father, right now as we look inward, it may be tough. There may be active things that we need to give up. But we thank you that you are there holding us in the palm of your hand. In Jesus' name, amen.
Let us pray. Father, we come on our knees, broken, lost, fighting, angry, selfish, undone. Father, we come and we confess our sins this morning. Father, we come and confess that we have put other gods before you, namely ourselves. Money, success, grudges, resentment. We have worshipped at the thrones of all of those before you. And we want to lay that down this morning. Father, we have created gods in our life in your image. Things that are not of you we worship. Ideologies, politics, sinister things that we justify as right, we have put before you. So Father, we want to lay that down and recognize the steadfast love you have for us. Father, we have taken your name in vain. We have spoken negatively on your name. We have spoken your name in vain in thought, word, and deed. Father, we forget to rest. We forget to recognize you as holy. We forget to rest in you, and we rest in other things. Father, you are the one that tells us to find rest in you, and we confess for those days that we forget it. And we rest in ourselves, in the world. Father, we come not honoring those that have gone before us. Not honoring our parents, our grandparents. Those people that you've put in our lives to grow us. To shape us and mold us. So, Father, we, we come and ask forgiveness that we honor ourselves that we put ourselves first in all things. You should be first in our life. We should be really, really small so you could be really, really big, but God, forgive us when we want to make ourselves really, really big. Father, forgive us for the murdering that we do. Father, maybe not literal, but spiritual, emotional, our thoughts, our words, and our deeds that go over people, to end them in our minds, for the grudges and the pound of flesh that we so desperately cling to when the way of forgiveness would be so much easier, so much lighter, that will bring you glory and bring us peace. Father, for the adultery we commit in our lives, we ask for your forgiveness. Whether the lusts that we go and engage with our eyes are just taking things that don't belong to us. Father, we lay that down this morning. We want you to be enough for us. We lay down our temptations, the active sin in our lives to focus that you are enough. Father, when we steal, whether we steal our integrity, others' integrity, 
when we take what's not ours and our thoughts, our words, our deeds, the words that we do that steal essence, that steal innocence, that steal integrity and love. Father, we come and ask for your forgiveness. Father, when we bear false witness in your name, when we lie, when we cheat, when we do one thing and say another, when we react, that we condemn instead of conversing, we ask for your forgiveness. Father, you bring us in and you talk to us. You engage us. You lead us when we don't offer that to the world around us. Father, if we've ever said those words, it would be better if they weren't here. We come and ask for your forgiveness. Father, when you're enough for us is not enough for us. When your will for us is not what we want, we ask for your forgiveness. Father, all of those things you endured by the hands of the followers, the disciples, the Pharisees, the Sadducees, and yet you called your friends to the table in an unbelievable act of grace and love, of sacrifice and truth. So now, Father, as we come to the table, we come as a broken people in need of salvation, in need of hope, in need of healing. For this meal of grace, we give you thanks, knowing we don't deserve it, but we receive it as a means of grace, as a gift. Through Jesus Christ, in whom we pray, amen. Please stand if you are able. Elders, you can make your way up. That part of confessing is proclaiming. Proclaiming the truth of God's word. Proclaiming who he is in our life. So let us individually, collectively proclaim our faith in the words of the Apostles' Creed. I believe in God the Father Almighty, creator of heaven and earth. And of Jesus Christ, his only Son, our Lord. Pontius Pilate was crucified, died, and was buried. He descended into hell. The third day he rose again from the dead. He ascended into heaven and is seated at the right hand of God the Father Almighty. From there he will come to judge the living and the dead. I believe in the Holy Spirit the holy Catholic Church, the communion of saints, the forgiveness of sins, the resurrection of the body, and the life everlasting. Amen. You may be seated. For those that claim our Lord Jesus Christ as their Savior, that are a part of a church that believes in the grace of Christ. By him alone comes salvation. Then I say, come, and I say this to myself, come, you sinners. Come, those that have broken covenant. 
come those idolaters, those murderers, those cheats, those liars. Come those Peters and those Judases. Because he invites you to take part in who he is. Because we remember, on the night in which he was betrayed, our Lord Jesus took bread, gave thanks, broke it, gave it to his disciples and said, take and eat. This is my body given for you. For we do this in remembrance of him. Again, after supper, he took the cup. Again, he gave thanks. Gave it to his disciples, said, take and drink. This cup is the new covenant in Christ's blood, shed for you and for all people. For we do this in remembrance of him. Friends, take and drink. This cup is the new covenant in Christ's blood, shed for you and for all people. We do this in remembrance of him. For as often as we eat of this bread, drink of this cup, we proclaim the Lord's death with our lives until he comes again. Elders, I'm going to put an audible on the play. You guys can hold your cups. We're almost done. One of the times I hear and say, find myself saying this the most is when someone gives something to my kids. What is the question we usually ask about 30 seconds to a minute after your kids receive something from somebody else? There's like 17 different things. Let's try that again. What is it? All right, this doesn't work. Uh, the, the question ultimately is, what do you say? What did you say? Oh, did you say thank you? Okay, so it's kind of the same thing. From very early on when we receive something, we don't always say thank you. Yet in prayer, thanksgiving is paramount to connection to God. Because when we're not saying thank you, it mainly means we're taking it for granted. That thanksgiving is part of connecting with God, thanking God for at the most the most primal, the most simplest for the breath in your lungs. I don't know how many, how many times we do that. I don't know the last time I was. I thank God for the air in my lungs. But Thanksgiving is thanking God for all he has done, is doing, and will do. Again, out of the Psalms, give thanks to God of heaven. His love endures forever. I don't know what better thing to thank God for in life is his love for us. Because his love for us isn't lip service. His love for us is not this thing we can't attain. This love for us is right there in the middle of our heart because of the cross. Because of that forgiveness of Jesus conquering death himself, we can come and give thanks to God.
you're getting tired, I get it. So am I. But now is when we come to ask God for stuff. Now we come and we seek God's face after adoring who he is, confessing our need for him, giving thanks that he is the God who made us. And then he invites us to ask. Where he says, ask and it will be given. Seek and you will find. Knock and the door will be opened. For everyone who asks receives. The one who seeks finds. And the one who knocks, the door will be opened. Supplication is purely this, presenting your requests to God. Father, you are Lord of all, and we, we come to you now asking for your grace, your comfort, and the peace, your peace, for the Helmus family, for Diane and Sue, for Jerry and Jerry, 
Father, though that may be a mere list, there are countless numbers of prayer requests that we know you hear. We know that you see us, you hear us, you know us, and you love us. So as we offer that up today, may our life be a prayer of confession to you, that the world would see that and know that you are God. We love you. But that pales in comparison how much you love us, and we pray this in the name of the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. We all agree and said, amen. Please stand if you are able. As we go into our weeks, be a people that adore the Lord in adoration and glory. Be a people that confess our sins one to another and to God. To give thanks to the Lord our God, for he is good and his love endures forever. And that we can go and pray to him for the needs of our heart, the needs of the world. And in that we will see a victory. May he bless you and keep you. Make his face shine on you, be gracious unto you, lift up his countenance upon you, and give you his peace, which always passes our understanding. In the name of the Father, Son, and the Holy Spirit. Amen.